In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by three separate yet equally important groups. The police who investigate crime, the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders, and Batman. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Batman Ethic... No, Superhero Ethics. We're just talking a lot about Batman. It is kind of fitting for myself. Uh, a lot of my ethical questions about superheroes started with Batman. I know it's a topic Paul and I have been discussing for quite some time. And so today we're getting to what is, for me at least, kind of the holy grail of these conversations, the Dark Knight. Uh, we started our conversation about Christian Bale and Christopher Nolan last week, uh, but we knew there was just so much more we wanted to say about it. So, just, so today we're going to continue our conversations about Batman and the ethical questions and the way those questions are presented and and asking this question of who is our Batman as we look at the second of the Christopher Nolan movies, The Dark Knight. All that more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. I'm joined by uh, <laughs> frequent uh, guest, uh, frequent flyers guest. His miles are adding up. Paul Hoppy. Uh, Paul, normally now I would ask you about how you're doing, but I don't care. I just want to get right to the movie. Yeah, yeah, let's so, get into uh, it. What, what was your kind of first thought the first time you saw Dark Knight? My first thought the first time I saw it was, wow, I can't believe I finally actually got into the theater to see it because <laughs> I kept going and it was sold out. And then the first time I actually did finally get tickets, we were waiting on the most ridiculous line in Times Square. And we were just like, I don't want to wait on this line any longer. And we actually got a <laughs> refund and then like went to see it on like a Monday daytime or something. Um, okay. you know, this was 2008. Uh, I was seeing a fair amount of movies at the time. I think, um, I think this came out right after Iron Man. Right. And that sounds right. Around when the incredible Hulk came out. And I just remember that being a very busy summer of movies, but, uh, the movie itself did not disappoint. And um, I think, you know, Batman Begins really built up, like, in excitement for this Batman. And then I had heard some things about, like, Heath Ledger's Joker and whatever. Although, I honestly, I didn't pay... I was, I was pretty good at the time at avoiding um, spoilers ahead of time, which I am yeah. again. And there was a time period when I, I wasn't as <laughs> successful. But... Um, yeah, I would say that Heath Ledger's Joker just did not disappoint. And, um, overall, I just really love the movie and, um, it definitely confronts head on sort of like, you know, why is Batman, you know? Right. Yeah. It was interesting to me because I have distinct memories of the first time I saw it. Particularly because I was kind of nervous going in. Not even nervous as much as, like, apprehensive. Because I had loved Batman Begins. But remember, like, the frequency with which superhero movies get made and remade and remade. That's something that has been a, a big increase in the last, like, 30 years, 40 years. But especially even in the last 10. And... This was the first... I, I, had, no, I had not been paying attention to many superhero movies... Um, I know that, like, for example, the Fantastic Four had had two completely different remakes uh, in my childhood lifetime, like young adult years, but I hadn't paid much attention. And so, like, I know Batman and, like, the people around him had been recast again and again. But this was the first time where I was going to see a movie where I'd already seen a version of, like, one of the other characters played by someone else 
now being rebooted, you know, where I was like, I, I understand you want to keep having Batman, but in my head it was like, well, we already had the Joker, Jack Nicholas, so give us someone else. And I remember thinking, therefore, it's kind of weird that Heath Ledger was going to do it again. And then I heard all this stuff about, I, I, I'm pretty sure he had already passed away by the time the movie was yeah. released. Yeah, I think he Surely there had been all this stuff about, like, just how, what a experience it had been for him. And, and yeah, I just remember being so blown away. I mean, first of all, by his, what, what I think can, can be, it, it is the only one to win an Academy Award. The Academy's awards are, you know, something we can raise a whole bunch of uh, eyebrows at. But I do think that if you wanted to say that it's in the top five of acting performances in a superhero media, I don't think anyone's going to argue with it. I, I think it's definitely one of the best. And so I was so blown away by that. I was so blown away by how real it felt. Kind of, it, it felt to me like all the things about Batman Begins even more so, especially in terms of the topic that I know we kept talking about last week of just the this question of how do you fix a broken justice system? And, 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 you know, if you're breaking the law to fix the system, can you eventually stop doing that? So, yeah, it just, it, it set a, it set for me what was the absolute high bar that I thought could never be achieved again. I think there have been some of the MCU movies that have hit it. Um, I think, honestly, probably if there's one movie that comes closest, it's Logan, which is mm. a Marvel movie. It's not a, an MCU movie. Um but it's still pretty damn rare. So to me, I think it is still very much in my kind of like absolute top of superhero movies. And and just as we've talked about, it's not necessarily that it is essentially like there's some little parts of it where maybe I like this person's Batman a little more, or this person's Gotham a little more. But I think overall, if I had to pick one sort of aesthetic and genre and mood and feel to have Batman stories in, it would probably be this one. Yeah, I um, I mean, first of all, like, you know, the Academy Awards, like, yeesh, uh, don't get me started yes, exactly. on them. I did, you know, root for Ledger to, to win the award. Not that, I guess, he cares. Um, I mean, he did, I think he died six months after filming finished and like six months before the film came out. Um, uh, you know, so, so he never saw, you know, what it, what it became or how it was taken. Um, I can only imagine kind of the the toll that it can take on someone to try and portray a character like the Joker just in general, but then especially this version of the Joker, I think, um, felt more like a, like a real person Joker. You know, like Jack right. Nicholson's Joker is so over the top in this. Um, it, I, I feel like Jack Nicholson's Joker is perfect for the Tim Burton batmans right yes but they are supposed to be this very kind of surreal not this you know there's like a grittiness and a darkness but there's they're not kind of like uh level-headed or like like not that's not really the right word but just like they don't they don't feel like oh yeah that could happen here you know it's not grounded in that regard yeah it's meant yeah, to be that's the word. kind of surreal metaphorical that kind of thing yeah um i will say that you know this that the dark knight was also nominated for um sound mixing which um i would strongly disagree with <laughs> yeah it won for sound editing which i believe has more to do with sound effects sound mixing has more to do with sound levels i don't know technically exactly what each person does my mom did work in editing and her specialty was sound and so that's something that i've always kind of really paid a lot of attention to um and so that you know 
for a movie that on a technical level is just almost flawless, the sound mixing like kind of makes me like, I'm like, why, why? But I will actually place that more on Christopher Nolan because apparently a lot of his films are that way. And a lot of people have complained about a bunch of different films. So whatever we get that out of the way in terms of the only technical complaint. Um, I'll just add to that because one that's often brought up, I think it's very linked watching Batman begins just literally a day before I watched dark Knight. Yes. Reminded me that the voice modulation on his bat, like to me, it ties in because it's the sound stuff. Absolutely. The voice modulation on Christian Bale's Batman is just so unnecessary. But so put all that aside now. Right. Go on with your point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it just, the sound at points is very effective, right? Like I can conjure up the feel of the music. And I right. think there is supposed to be, there's meant to be some sort of actual like physical feel when you're at the theater, you know, mm-hmm. the way things hit. Um, but like, I, I just, I, I want to hear what people are saying. That's just like a little idiosyncrasy I have. Um, <laughs> you know, I like to hear the dialogue. I think overall the dialogue's actually quite good. So, yeah. you know, it's not the sort of dialogue you need to, to hide. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, on a technical level, it's aside from that, I think it's just, you know, the cinematography, the editing in terms of, you know, the cuts and, um, you know, the pacing of the film, the, the beginning, there's one sequence that we can get to that I, I felt was like a little bit unnecessary. And in terms of the writing, it feels like it has a lot of acts. Um, I know mm-hmm. it drew from several different comics, um, you know, including the killing joke, including, uh, I believe the, the long Halloween. Um, and so I, I feel like maybe narratively it's it's not um it doesn't feel flawless to me in that regard but the performances and the sort of there is this momentum right that i feel like carries through not even like it's not just a story momentum it's like the the performances are so um like captivating you know it's like once once joker's there and and is, I mean, which is really from the beginning, right? And yeah. I, I know you had asked me um, via text while we were both kind of watching it separately, um, whether the opening scene where like each of the Joker's men like shoots one of the previous ones and then they get shot by the next guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's like, no, 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 I'm supposed to shoot the bus driver. What bus driver? Oh, that bus driver. Like you asked me like whether that bothered me because that is kind of one of my pet peeves is like villains showing like that they're bad men because they're like killing their underlings and they don't care. Yeah. And it feels different here. It doesn't feel like that's the point. Like Joker to me, isn't like, I feel like they're not trying to demonstrate something through some sort of mm-hmm. just like arbitrary thing. It's like, this is who he is. And like, he just doesn't care on, yeah. not on a sort of like, I'm a bad guy. I'm a tough guy. doesn't care. Like he doesn't care. Like, He's just, it's, it's, it doesn't even occur to him for it to matter to him, I feel like. Yeah. You know? I, you know, let, let's kind of jump into that, because I think in many ways, one of the most sort of like, if you think about the things that this movie sort of most added to the overall picture of the Batman universe, I think in a lot of ways it was to take the Joker in a very different direction on screen. I mean, it, it's a direction that was already done to some extent uh, in the comic books, but just taking him from the kind of like wacky comedic yes he's scary but he's also funny and ridiculous 
to being one of the most downright terrifying characters I think I've ever seen on screen. Yeah. And, you know, a long time ago, I took a class on Shakespeare, and, and we at one point did a whole section on villains. And we're talking about how, like, for the most part in a story, you need a villain to make sense. You need a villain to be relatable. You need a villain to not just be a mustache twirler, but to instead have relatable, understandable goals that they might have a worldview and a perspective that's deeply flawed or deeply skewed. And so they have different values. And so we can say they're terrible. You know, we understand Dr. We understand Mr. Freeze wants to, you know, free his wife. We, we understand people who want revenge or want, you know, justice in their own screwed up way, or they just want money because they've had whatever's happened to them. And part of the point in the Shakespeare class was to say that like the character of Iago from Othello one reason he is so effective is because he is just pure malevolence. He is, to, to put it in the Alfred line, you know, centuries later, someone who just wants to watch the world burn. And the play does a great job of showing all these people trying to figure out the depth of Iago's evil. And like, yeah, maybe it's about his jealousy with Othello and things like that, but mostly it's just he just wants to watch the world burn. And, and to me, I very much feel like Joker is that. Like, the Joker character, Heath Ledger's character, works so much because he is all of those things that you want to assume about how you understand a person should work. He breaks all of them. And and that happens both kind of like out for the audience, but also for the characters around him in the movie itself, which I think is part of what makes it so brilliant. So yeah, yeah to me, I, 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 that, that's kind of what I was asking. Because that, that was really what I thought. I was like, is the all the normal, like, well, come on, there's no reason a person should do this. It doesn't really apply to Joker because of because of just how different he is. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also, I feel like this Joker is kind of more similar to the animated series Joker in some ways, not in terms of actual presentation, uh, but in terms of that sort of, he's kind of just doing, like he's kind of just doing what he feels like, what he thinks is fun, but also like he has a point, but I feel like he doesn't really care that deeply about his point in some ways. Uh-huh. And I feel like every Joker kind of usually often kind of has some sort of social commentary. I'm like, oh, people watch TV, so they'll watch this, even though it's literally brainwashing them, right? That's in the, the Justice League series. Or like, right. um, you know, Jack Nicholson with the, you know, the beauty products and whatever. People are so vain that, you know, mm -hmm. you can, they'll use these products or, or they won't. And um and here, this one, I think, is kind of trying to make a comment on, you know, humanity and, and how, you know, humans will turn on each other and how people are fundamentally selfish or, you know, it's the kind of killing joke thing of like one bad day and kind of anybody can right. um, get pushed over the edge. But at the same time, I feel like this character doesn't necessarily care that deeply about that. It's kind of just like what he's doing that week, yeah. you know, and like... It's not this like very logical. I mean, he does have a plan. He plans a lot. I mean, he first of all, he takes down the mob, um, yeah. you know, in a way that no one else really was able to do. Um, and, you know, he plans the bank robber. He steals all the, the mob's money and then he walks in and somehow he's able to get out um, despite like be walking into a, a meeting with all the mob bosses. Right. Like like they let him go because. They're like, yeah, he, he probably will blow himself up to blow us up. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then he plans all the stuff with, with uh, Harvey and Rachel and then the fairies. And then the fairies are one of the things to me that kind of feels like it's a little, um, 
a little kind of more than we need in some ways. Like mm-hmm. in some ways I could have gone for a little bit smaller, kind of tighter mo- movie. Um, but that is kind of like, that's the, in some ways that's like the misdirection that he's giving you to be like, here's right. the big main conflict and, and here's what you need to sweat. And there's like, oh, but by the way, you know, this other thing too. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because I, I think the thing about this Joker is I do think – I mean he said, he describes himself as an anarchist, and I think on some level that's part of what he's trying to do. But I think his goals are much smaller, you know, whereas past – you know, Jack Nicholas wants to, you know, fundamentally change everyone's understanding of beauty and, and, and art and all this kind of stuff and – as well as just like make a lot of money because he's a gangster and, and other jokers have these sort of grand goals. This one, I think I'm right. A lot like the Mark Hamill Joker is much more focused on like, he looks at Batman, the police and the mob as all in this kind of dance with each other where they're all following sort of unspoken rules. And he thinks that is all utterly ridiculous. And it's more like he, like to some extent, the whole thing with the fairies, which I, I think I like more than you do, but I can also understand the concern about it. I don't think he cares at all what the larger public will learn. Right. I think he wants Batman to learn a lesson. He wants Gordon to learn a lesson. And and same with Harvey Dent. You know, the whole thing is that he um he wants to tear these people down, but it's mostly because he 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 thinks that Batman and all these other people are lying to themselves. And that's I think in many ways the the key part of the movie because part of what we learn is that in some ways he's wrong, but in some ways he's completely right. Yeah. I I think I like the metaphor of like them all being in this dance with one another and Joker's kind of like mind if I cut in and yeah. (laughs) um, And I do think he very much wants to like show Batman, like, look, look, this is, they're going to do this, you know? Um, And he kind of like wants to show them his worldview. It's funny that he does, I think he he actually describes himself as an anarchist, right? Which, yeah. in general, in terms of like political anarchism, um, generally is based in the assumption that people won't behave the way this Joker wants them to. Otherwise, right. not, not, it, it probably wouldn't <laughs> work very well, right? And like that's probably the the most legit yeah. critique of anarchism as like a political, um, you know, uh, point of view, but. This, this Joker is very anarchistic in terms of just like, you know, he's like all of these little laws that you live by, you know, it's like they're, they, they don't work basically. And, right. you know, there's an extent to which like, I kind of agree. Like, you know, if, if you look at how the justice system actually functions, um, you, you know, you look at how there's, there's a, there's a line actually in Gotham, I think that uh, Falcone says um, something like, you know, for organized crime to exist, there must be law and order. Like, mm-hmm. otherwise you can't really have organized crime, right? And and that that it's, those things are all kind of like built on how the, the law works. And then Batman is trying to step outside of the law, but still kind of like served the law in essence right. by stepping <clears throat> outside it, right? And I think Joker's point is kind of like, yeah, that's that's not going to work. And it does and it doesn't, you know, in the, he kind of goes like one for two. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think a really good way of just setting up this whole concept very early in the movie is the kind of manager of the bank that Joker robs from at the very start of the movie, you know, says criminals in this town used to believe in honor, respect. And it's like, 
that's just such a, I, I mean, I think there is this concept a lot. Maybe there was, you know, I think you can say that like there were parts of organized crime that, and maybe still today that some folks have like, kind of like, yeah, we don't, we don't, we only kill our people. We don't kill their families, you know? And like, there's different codes that people live by. But on some level, the whole idea of that is kind of ridiculous yeah. and also highly, highly romanticized in mm -hmm. ways that are not at all the actual truth of what's happening. And so, yeah, I thought having that guy say that line is just such the perfect sort of setup of, yeah, this is all the things that Joker is fighting against right. as, as blowing up, you know? So overall, where do you think you put this portrayal of uh, Joker? It's like, I don't know. I, I mean, if I have to rank them, it's going to be one A or one B with Mark Hamill's yeah. Joker. You know, it's, they're two very different, but in some ways similar portrayals. Mm -hmm. Like I think Hamill's Joker wouldn't function on, uh, in live action. Yeah. I think, that's true. you know, I mean, Hamill plays like trickster, right? I think yeah. either trickster or traps. I think it's trickster in, um, you know, a, a live action the show. Universe. And that works, but it doesn't have the same weight that, you know, the Joker yeah. can have in animation. Um, so I, I think that one is my favorite animated Joker, and this is my favorite live action Joker. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think I think Nicholson is fantastic and was perfect mm -hmm. for that movie. Um, I actually yeah. like Jared Leto's Joker in Suicide Squad. Um and, there's got to be one. And I think Cesar <laughs> Romero, there's plenty of people who do. Um, Cesar I know, I know, Romero, I actually, I, I think was perfect for the, the TV yeah. show back in the day. You know, I, I was thinking about it and thinking that in some ways, the question we keep asking of like, you know, is this my blank? Mm -hmm. I, I think is a useful question for the most part. I think Joker may be one of those characters for whom it is the least useful. Yeah. Because I think, I think this is my favorite version with, um, Hamill being close and, and frankly, Jack Nicholas, you know, being close and Cesar Romero also being pretty darn good. Uh, I, I even think the Joker in uh, the Harley Quinn animated series mm. is fantastic. Uh, each one of those, though, is a very different interpretation of the character. Yes. And I think, honestly, I, I think part of why I don't like Jared Leto's version, and that's something we can discuss at a different time, it felt to me like he was trying. He wasn't trying to give his take on on the Joker. He was trying to do Heath Ledger Joker, and whatever else, whether or not you think that's correct or not, I think that like if you told me someone else was going to try to do a version of Batman similar to what Christian Bale was doing, I'd be like, cool, okay, I like that version of Batman. Let's see more of that. If you wanted to say someone was trying to do a Kevin Conroy Batman, I'd be like, cool, let's see what that is. I don't need, I don't want another Heath Ledger Batman, uh, another Joker, Heath Ledger yeah. Joker. You know, I think like it was so perfect for this and it was so chilling that I, Joker, I think is one character, especially where I want to keep seeing it reinterpreted and re in some ways. Cause I think Joker is so much a reflection of everything else that's happened. Like so much of Joker. And that we talked about this with the animated movie, like so much of Joker is a reaction to Batman. And so I feel like, any, you know, whatever mood Batman is, Joker needs to match that. Mm. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Um, I do disagree on Alito Joker. I, I think actually he's maybe more close to the Jack Nicholson Joker in a lot of ways. Um, I definitely think he was trying to do his own thing. But that's that's not really the point. I totally agree that Joker has to fit with Batman, right? Like, they have to feel like they exist in, in the same world. Um, right. And... 
kind of mirror each other in a way, you know, and, um, and I think that this one, I mean, that Ledger's Joker does that perfectly here. And I also think that the decision not to recast him, because they just recast Rachel Dawes, right? Yeah. Um, which <clears throat> we, we could get to her later, but um, I, I, I think if they try to recast Ledger and have somebody else, like, play that role, like, I, I just can't even. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, I... It's possible somebody could have nailed it, you know, but it would have felt really weird, and I think it was a very good decision not to try to do that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, and we can talk later about. I, I think actually, in when we already did a an art an, an episode about the third movie, Dark Knight Rises, and I'm pretty sure we talked I, about. I did like, not do that. Oh, that you were not on that one. That's yeah. correct. <laughs> That's right. For and that. I feel, get... I think, I feel very differently about the Dark Knight Rises than you do. I think it's true. I think uh, I have come around to liking parts of it more, but I still feel very negative about it. But we'll definitely get into it at, at some later point. But I think you know a very interesting question in that is to kind of wonder what would have happened would the joker's character continue to be a part of it um based you know would would joker's character have continued to be a major part of the trilogy in the third movie if heath ledger was still around right um which brings me though to a question i want to bring up because i think it is very germane to all these questions about you know is this batman you know how do we these things fit you mentioned the killing joke as mm -hmm. one thing that i think this very clearly does you know call it you know you mentioned the killing joke i think is one thing that this very clearly is to some extent based on or you know taking inspiration from down to you know he doesn't use the exact words but um the joker in this says a line very similar to the one bad day thing about like he wanted to prove that even someone like harry dent you know the the one that everyone saw as the best of us you push him in just the right way he can fall apart just like anyone else yeah obviously one of the for those who uh, for those who haven't read The Killing Joke or haven't seen the, the movie about it, one of the kind of key questions that, that's really left very open is at the, the that at the end of the book, at the end of the story, Batman is having to, having to wonder, am I wrong to continually save Joker's life or to continually leave him alive when what happens is he keeps breaking out of Arkham and he keeps killing more, quite literally killing more people. Right. And so... He, on some level, he's forced. He is confronting the question of should I just kill the Joker? And I think there's a, a, a you know a lot of discussion about how because it, it ends in a fairly you know cut to black kind of way, which I think you can very you can interpret it as Batman finally decides to kill Joker, um, or you can decide that he doesn't. But either way, you and I talked when we talked about Batman Begins about how the one the one kind of like this is not my Batman is when Batman, like, you know, knocks Ducard out, not out, but, like, kind of knocks him aside. The train's about to crash, and he says, I won't, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you either. And he quite literally leaves him to die. In this, I, for me, it didn't feel coincidental. We see Joker get, like, knocked over the edge, and he's falling to his death, and he's just like, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, he's like screaming, laughing. but kind of like, whatever, death's gonna be cool, we'll see. And Batman saves him. And Joker's like kind of why – Joker's asking kind of why did you save him? To me, that felt – it felt so similar to what happened with Ducard at the end of the last movie that I thought it was very intentional and it was kind of supposed to be a commentary on the like, no, actually Batman is the guy who saves the Joker even if maybe you think he shouldn't. What, what's kind of your take on all that in terms of both the killing joke and the Batman Begins and, and how that scene played out? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I you know I'm a big fan of people are free to interpret 
media how they choose, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that's great. You can think about something a particular way. I can retcon in my head, like, yeah, Ducard was Ducard. He wasn't Rachel Ghoul. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I absolutely hate the take of the killing joke that, like, Batman kills him at the end. Like, no, hard pass. Like, that's fair. very much not my Batman. Um, but but would you at least agree that the story is set up in a way to like the, the idea is that Batman has to really confront that question? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, to me that's the more important point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, no. Yeah, I wasn't disagreeing with your overall point. Just like that, that yeah. that detail, you know. Um, but that I think the point of the Killing Joke is that Joker is trying to push Batman or Gordon over a certain line, and that Batman's right. just like no, you know, and. There's another sort of version of the killing joke where uh, maybe it's not Batman, but um, that maybe we'll talk about someday. Um, and it, it kind of works a little differently. And it's I think it's interesting, you know, and here yeah. I think it works very well with Harvey Dent, um, you know, knowing that he's Two-Face, right, that that mm -hmm. is the character's story, um, you know, originally. And so I think they, you know, took... The, the sort of the essence of the killing joke then applied it here. And I think in a third movie in a universe where Heath Ledger is fine, like, I think you absolutely bring Joker back. I don't think you necessarily make him the principal villain, but I think mm -hmm. you make him an important part of the plot, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, I, and you know, I mean, there's even another world where it's like Harvey isn't actually dead. You know, he's like, right. they, he's in a hospital somewhere, he's in Arkham, but they're pretending he's dead because he's clearly lost it. And, you know, and he's now totally Two-Face. And so, like, you know, you could go off right. in whatever ways you want. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, Batman deliberately saving the Joker there, I think, is both Batman trying to make a point, basically, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, the writers, um, yeah. Christopher Nolan and I think David S. Goyer. Um, making kind of a point of like the sort of like, is it a deliberate distinction between Batman begins and this? Like, why did he not do, why did he let Ducard die? But here he's not letting Joker die. I, I don't know. Um, is it because Joker completes him too? Like, or is it because Joker's deliberately set up this whole, you know, the first one Ducard was like, well, you have to kill all these people for this reason. And, you know, and Batman's like, no. And then here, Joker isn't like, you should do this for this reason. He's like, I'm basically going to twist you to the point where that's what you're going to do. Right. Like, it's for example, you're talking, one thing I'm also realizing that I hadn't even put together yet is in Batman Begins, Bruce Wayne has already saved Ducard's life once. That's true. You know, yeah. he was falling to his death after the fight. He had no reason. I mean, I think the general reason that humanity should try to save each other, sure. but like, he didn't have to save him. He yeah. did. And it turned out so badly. Right. I don't really believe in a one strike you're out kind of a policy. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, <laughs> you know, because, yeah, I, I sort of always figured that part. I think you're right that the third movie wouldn't have been primarily about Joker. But I think, well, it could have been. It probably it wasn't been. intended to. I think after Heath Ledger is so good, you might right, change right, right, your mind. Yeah. I kind of hope that they don't. But I, I do think part of what would have happened is that. The Joker would have, you know, he would have been put in Arkham. He would have escaped because Arkham has the worst security on Earth. Hmm. And then at some point, someone would have said to Batman, how dare you save his life? Because now he has killed so many, like, he has killed more people 
and those deaths are on your head mm. because you know that the system is broken. You know that the jail wasn't probably going to hold him for long. You should have just killed him. Um, and that that would be something that Batman would have wrestled with. And But even without that, I, I think you're totally right about the whole thing about pushing over lines because I think one of the things that I, I, I think is so interesting about characters like Batman, and, and, and we've talked before about how sometimes with Daredevil or something like that, the the claim to not killing people because cartoon comic book violence is never lethal if you don't want it to be as ridiculous. But for me, there's a whole other dimension to those questions, which is this idea of, you know, when you're in a situation where you feel like I am going further than down a road that society tells me I should go. But I still believe that even if I'm going further than society tells me, I'm still not going to go all the way down this road because I think that that like, you know, it's sort of like if society tells me never pass a one, I think I'm OK going to a five, but I know that I should never go to a ten. Mm-hmm. In situations like that, I think that one of the things people do is they draw arbitrary lines with themselves, you know, of like, okay, well, like, maybe I shouldn't be drinking, but I will only have two drinks tonight. You know, I'll only have one drink or only like, you know, I'm only going to rob from these kind of people or things like that. And I think, you know, I I do it all the time in terms of how I set my dieting and stuff like that. I don't think that those things are wrong necessarily, but I think you could step back and be like, this is kind of arbitrary, you know? And and to me, that's so much what the Joker is, is pointing out is that like the distinctions that everything is making are so arbitrary, you know? Uh, like, to me, the, the the idea of I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you, like, I, I think it would have been too much if Joker had actually known about that and brought that up, but right. it's kind of exactly, to me, the kind of thing Joker's pointing out of, like, you're a criminal, Batman. You're breaking the law, and you claim you're doing it for good reasons, and you claim that there are some laws you won't break, and I think what Joker's saying is like that the distinctions you're drawing are ridiculous, so stop trying. Yeah, um, maybe to some extent. I mean, I don't, I don't actually agree with that point. If that's what Joker's making. Um, oh I, no, yeah, I, no, I'm not agreeing okay, with Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either. I'm just saying that <laughs> I, I think mean, that's his. I, I think certain things are arbitrary, and other things are less arbitrary. You know, I, right. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an arbitrary distinction between literally murdering someone and not exerting the effort to try and save someone. Like, the, yeah, I, I find that to I be a so. non-arbitrary distinction. It's maybe not a distinction that always bears a lot of consequence, right? right. Like, it's sort of inconsequential, but not arbitrary, if that makes any sense. I, I think maybe the way to put it, maybe I think it's kind of going back to what you were saying, is our mor- the way that we put moral value on different things is what makes them feel non-arbitrary. Mm. And Joker kind of doesn't get, like, he doesn't see those things. Right, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, the Joker, I don't think sees moral value, you know? Yeah. Um, not even, like, I, I don't really believe in moral value or ethical value, but, like, I do have subjective feelings about it that equate to being right. in the same ballpark. Joker doesn't have those feelings. Joker's like, right. this is what I feel like doing. Like, yeah. that's what I'm going to do, you know? <laughs> and And I think he does think, like, you know, Batman and, you know, the the mob and, you know, the various arms of law enforcement all have their own things where they're basically restraining themselves, maybe from doing some of the things that they would otherwise want to do that would then maybe actually be coherent with what their um, goals are. Right. You know, that they're kind of like getting in their own way with some of these. I do have one thing that I wanted to say about, you know, the whole... Like, I have been thinking about, like, why do I enjoy 
Batman, but particularly like a non-homicidal Batman, as opposed mm-hmm. to like you know a Snyder Man, and <laughs> then also like enjoy Dexter and to some extent Punisher, but then also Daredevil. Right. And I think what I came to a realization of today is that a big part of it for me is like how much power does this character have? Mm, you know, okay. and like Bruce Wayne has a lot of power. You know, and it's mostly yeah. social power. He doesn't have superpowers, right? But he's got enough capital and social clout that he can make changes in society and that he can get a $300,000 suit of armor, you know, and a, and a tank or and a, and a, some sort of flying vehicle that costs millions of dollars that most people can't, don't have access to, right? Right. And so I think for a person like that who has that level of power or Daredevil who has superpowers right limited ones but still superpowers i think for a person like that to put limits on themselves particularly when they're stepping out of society's limits Mm -hmm. i think is more important and i mean dexter puts limits on himself that kind of his his dad did right right but you know a character like dexter is like just a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of power in society and doesn't have any superpowers and so for a character like that to be like well yeah i'm just going to kill these people kind of I'm a little more comfortable with that, which isn't to say I'm advocating it. Please don't go around killing people. But like (laughs) it, it feels a little safer than if you have, you know, a billionaire with a plane and a tank and, you know, this ridiculous body armor. If someone like that goes around killing a bunch of people, it's like, that feels like it's going to get out of hand a lot quicker. So I feel like the more power a person has, the more they need to come up with some sort of, okay, this is, this is where I'm going to draw the line because I'm not listening to anyone else's lines. And I think that's kind of the point I was trying to make about the arbitrariness. Is mm. I feel like there's an extent to which I think most of us, like there's a generalized social belief. Not everyone holds it. I think you and I probably question it to some extent, you more than I, that they're like, you know, that, yeah, like we don't want to live in like a Hobbesian state of nature, like having some degree of socially understood boundaries and rules and, and ideas and, and, some that may be given to us by society and some that we hold for ourselves is useful. You know, that it helps to have some kind of a code or whatever. And then I think what's interesting is that with all the characters you just mentioned, all of them to some extent or another have said, I am not going to follow the rules that society gives me, but I am going to still design my own code, mm-hmm. you know, or, or get that code from somewhere else. So Dexter gets it from his father. Um, I, I think you could argue that daredevil to some extent gets it, but also largely gets it from the church mm-hmm. and his idea of the church. Yeah. You know, Punisher still has his own. Like, I think I disagree with Punisher's code a lot, but I think he also very much has a code. For sure. You know, and same with Batman. And then that's exactly Joker's point is the Joker's, I think, kind of point is the code society gives you is dumb, but the code that you give yourself is just as dumb. Right. Because it's kind of like what you were saying before. He doesn't have this well-thought-out plan because that's also giving himself a code. Yeah, yeah. He's, like he says, he's a dog chasing a car. The dog doesn't have a, like, mental thought of cars are meant to be chased and therefore it's ethical for me to chase the car. It just, it just chases the car. Yeah, although I would, um, I would hesitate to project too much into, like, canine cognition. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think it's people fair. take a lot for granted in terms of how animals behave. But, like, but yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of dogs chasing cars and it doesn't yeah. seem logical to me. But, like, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they we, they probably don't understand why we go to work every day and don't just hang out and play. <laughs> I mean, I also look at humans who go to work every day and have a little bit of that feeling myself. 
One hundred percent agreed. One hundred percent agreed. I haven't worked an office job in twenty years, yeah, with exception of one year. Um, so let's talk about kind of the two. It's funny that we're constructing this so much around uh, Joker, but I think he's in many ways the heart and soul of everything this movie is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk briefly about the fairy things. I think it is such an interesting kind of like set. It's kind of the central moral crux of the of the movie in that one regard. At least it's meant to be, and we can argue about whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, what was kind of your objections to the fairy scene? Um, it just feels like really, I mean, okay, so it's a thing that Joker has set up as a thing, right? So contrived is like, well, I guess Joker contrived it, so that's fine. Um, I kind of think they'd all blow each other up, probably. Like, I want to think that they wouldn't, you know, and so it's kind of, to me, it's set up as a, you know, um, it's like a, a fight for the the soul of Gotham or like, but like, like, do, do we really believe that like people in Gotham wouldn't just like kill each other? Just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I do, I can believe that there would be someone or some people on whatever boat that would be like, no, we're not doing this, you know? Right. Um, and, but it just, it to me feels like, um, a little too literal in that direction for me. Yeah. You know, I think um, it's fair. I do think the sound that the sound is both very effective, but also kind of annoying to me at that point. Yeah. You know, that's the point. It's, like, not... it's so loud. <laughs> like, oh my it's goodness. not pleasant. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, I think I, I sort of, I love the fairy scene for what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like, I love the overall concept. I think the execution is a little bit sloppy. You know, I think like it would be, it's one of those things where like, you're trying to set up a particular question and the way you do it leaves some holes. Right. I think the thing that I liked most about it, first of all, also because I feel like the way they're trying to set it up as like the good people versus the prisoners. I get the point. It feels a little hackneyed and a little kind of on the nose. Um, but I'll also say, especially after this last year of COVID, last couple of years of COVID, there were two things especially that jumped out at me. First of all, the sort of good citizens saying like, wait, why do they, get, you know, at one point they're like, why do the, why do the prisoners get to go on the boat before all of us right. good people do? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that literally happened when pr- prisoners were be, were getting uh, vaccines right. somewhat early on yeah. because, like, they're in federal custody right. or state custody. And there were a lot of people being like, well, why do, why do they get vaccines? What about us good people? They should have forfeited the right to. And, like, almost exactly quoting things that are said here. The other thing that I really loved about it, and again, this feels to me so real in recent years, is what happens on the the boat of the civilians, the non—I mean, uh, prisoners or civilians—you know, the the non-prisoner, non-incarcerated folks. Yeah, exactly. It's a better way to put it. Is that all? An overwhelming majority, something like four to one, votes. Yeah, me with math. Um, (laughs) Votes. To blow up the other boat. Right. They all, like, all so many of them are willing to say, that's what I want someone else to do. Mm, yes, yeah, yeah. But then when it comes time to actually do that, they all hesitate. And to me, that also feels very real in terms, and not, like, as a defense, but in terms of, like, people find it very, people find it hard to, to actually, like, do direct harm to a person who's right in front of them. But it's very easy for them to vote for something that's gonna that is gonna make someone else push the button to make someone else be harmed, and they can still kind of say like, yeah, but I didn't do it. I just I, I just voted for it. I was one of many. Yeah, no, I think those are great points. Uh, I I totally agree. 
And um, I think that, I mean, like, that's the problem with democracy, right? Is like, if with, I guess, direct, completely unrestricted democracy is like, if 51% of the population wants to murder 49% of the population, if you have no guardrails or anything, they can just do that. And like that, that doesn't seem good to me, you know? And, and yeah, I did find it very, I do find, I am convinced by that, that, you know, two thirds of people would be like, yeah, just blow them up. Let's go. And that it would be very difficult for any given one of them to actually go ahead and do that. Um, You know, I mean, if you talk about like separating families at the border and like the number of people in favor of that versus the number of people who would like be like, yeah, I'll physically take a child away from a parent and then take them off somewhere separate. You know, a lot of people would have a hard time doing that. And, you know, I mean, any number of other things, though, that that maybe 90 percent of people think, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. It's like 90 percent of people aren't willing to actually do that themselves. Like, I, I hate the death penalty, so I don't ever want to endorse any version of the death penalty. But one thing I love about Game of Thrones is the Ned Stark idea of mm. if you sentence someone to die, you should be the one to swing the sword. Right. You know, you should not be separated from the consequences of your decision. Yeah. And, like, I still think you just never use the death penalty, but I get it in that. I think I get that thinking. So let's talk about the other kind of great uh, Joker project of the movie, um, Harvey Dent, Two-Face. Um this is a character who Harvey Dent is played by Billy Dee Williams in a very small role in the original uh, Burton movie. Then he's recast uh, as Tommy Lee Jones when he becomes Two-Face for the um, first of the Schumacher movies, uh, which we'll get to at some point and have probably a lot of thoughts on. Uh, but what's your take on this this like this like perspective of Harvey Dent and, and, and through him? Like, I want to talk about Dent. I want to talk about Gordon. And I want to talk about this whole question of like – saving the justice system and like how it all works. And I feel like they're all kind of tied together, but let's start with Dent. Yeah. Uh, I think Aaron Eckhart is fantastic as Dent in this. I think yeah. he's, first of all, the fact that he has, you know, the jawline to pull off. I am the Batman. And then people be like, Oh yeah, that guy could be the Batman. I can see it. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's essential, but also this sort of like, you know, idea of of being like this white knight and this like you know i'm not afraid to prosecute um you know and i mean i'm sure we both have plenty of things to say about the justice system in general and whether that's the best way to go about trying to you know change things but in a city where most of the prosecutors are paid off you know by directly by Mm -hmm. you know i mean criminals like people who are probably murdering people also is, you know, another way to look at it instead of just like whether it's breaking the law or not. It's like, there's, there's a lot of, you know, these people were complicit with, with uh, Scarecrow and Rachel Gould, not on purpose really, you know, but um, I think, um, you know, I think he really pulls off the the Harvey Dent of it all. And then, Uh you know, it makes sense that he becomes Two-Face, not just because his, you know, have his face got blown off and, and green screened, but like, or however they did it. I don't know exactly how they did it. It clearly wasn't practical makeup. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of maybe the, in terms of the technical aspects of the movie, maybe that's another thing that like, it could have been a little better. Maybe 10 years later, it would have been a little better. I don't know. Maybe they mm-hmm. could have made different choices, but it does. I, I think it works, you know, and I think it's very interesting that like, 
you know, a boat full of convicts and a boat full of people who aren't convicts ultimately didn't blow each other up. But Harvey Dent did, like, snap, right? Yeah. And that, um, you know, it's not always necessarily the people who seem the best or the most moral or whatever who are going to be the people who are going to be able to withstand um, some tragedy, you know? Right. And uh, given that Harvey Dent does become Two-Faced in, like, almost all of the comics, right? That that's a, that's a thing, um, you know, it... Uh, it works in terms of how uh, how this movie's set up, and I, I feel like even though this Two Face isn't um, very long lived, mm-hmm. it it does feel like to me it feels true to the essence of the character, even yeah. if it's not um, like a, a very it doesn't it doesn't look exactly like what you would expect, and it's not this like long running villain. But right. um, it, it feels real to me, and, and I buy it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I feel very much the same. I, I I think I imply this, but didn't quite use this metaphor. When we're talking about Batman Begins, you know, we know, like, there's the legend of King Arthur. And, like, most most historians, I understand it, don't think in act, the actual King Arthur and the Round Table and Lancelot, like, those people ever existed. But there's a lot of arguments, like, there was... A couple of different kings in English history, Uther Pendragon perhaps being the like most well-known, or that may even be Welsh history, who like the reality inspired the legends. Mm. And, and I feel like kind of when I watched this, I was like, oh, okay, so this is an actual psychiatrist who's also this like drug dealing, like uh, not drug dealing, but like, using drugs in these horrible ways. And you're going to understand how the comic book character of Scarecrow gets inspired by this real story. Right. And that's exactly how I felt about Two-Face, mm-hmm. you know? And in some ways, also, I think I was really benefited by the fact that I had had... I hadn't had much experience with the Batman story going into this. I'd seen the Tim Burton movies, I'd seen a lot of the shows, but I didn't remember it. So I had no connection that he was Two-Face. Right. Even after, like, all the stuff with his burns, until he's, you know, like, tell me the name they had for me when I was in Internal Affairs, and it's it's Two-Face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved that, and I... You know, and so like there's a part a couple parts of a story that feel a little more fantastical. The, the the makeup just didn't look real to me. In a way that like for example, Joker's makeup look like Looks, there are other yeah. versions of the Joker. Like Nicholas, you sort of get the sense that somehow the chemicals like burned the Joker maker onto his face. Um or whatever. Right. Here yeah, it's yeah. it it's pretty clear this is a guy who's putting on this makeup every day. Right. He's um, been disfigured somehow and then he puts right. on this makeup to kind of play with that. Right. I think the Harvey Dent character didn't feel like that. And also the whole, like, the gun in the courtroom scene is, is oh, great. Yeah. It, it's really fun. And then yeah, you think yeah. about it for 10 seconds. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but I think they do such a good job with the Dent character because I – we'll get to the justice triangle in a bit. But to me, one of the things it shows is that, like, yes, he is kind of the best of them and that he's the one who is, like, dedicated to the law. He is going to be lawful good. He is going to stand up for everything. But where it all falls apart for him is when he realizes that like he can't trust other people. You mm-hmm. know, the him and Gordon not being able to trust each other is to me one of the most heartbreaking parts of this movie because so much happens because they don't listen to each other about the problems within each of their own agencies. Yeah, true. Um, and and I think one of the things that is really essential to it though, and, and this is again such brilliant writing, is that the bad day that Dent has doesn't start 
with Rachel dying and his face being blown off. It starts with him coming to realize all the different things that are, you know, just how deep the corruption goes and him having that scene with the 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 mob person who he has captured, who he thinks has killed Gordon. And he's basically going to kill him until Batman stops him. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like he's in an alley with a prisoner and he's like about to shoot the guy and, and Batman stops him. And he's doing it kind of like, like let's luck, luck settle it. Like he's, he's oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's not about I to forgot. shoot him. He has a two-sided, a double-headed coin. He's bluffing. Oh, okay. No. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. He's not okay. going to shoot him. And Batman's like, I can't leave something to chance. He's like, oh, I, I did it or something like that. Okay. I, I, that's correct. So that changes me what I'm saying a little bit. But so, but like you look at him in that scene, like he is definitely far beyond the proper procedure is to arrest you and take you in and have the police. Like he's already starting to snap in that moment. Like even without the shooting, I think what he does to that guy is a lot further than maybe Harvey Dent at the start of the movie would have done. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's he's bending, I think. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, if you bend, you might not break. But, right. you know, he's bending a little bit there. I, I, I do think he he basically just snaps when, when you know, yeah. with the, the, the whole blowing up thing. I, I think that's a lot of it. And I think, and, and maybe I'm reading too, this theme too much into it, but, you know, to me, all the people, with the whole thing we're just talking about, about code, the point of the code is that you will bend, but you'll know how far, you'll know how far to bend without breaking, you right. know when to stop. Yeah. Dent doesn't have that. Mm. So Dent is... Dent thinks you should never bend, and so it's very brittle. And so once he does, yeah, everything comes apart. Okay, yeah. I, I also think, like, you know, maybe he's not as pure good as he wants to be or represent himself to be, you know? I mean, I yeah, think people really very rarely are, you know? Most people, like, have an idea of themselves, and then an idea of themselves they're trying to project to others, and then it's, mm -hmm. like, who they actually are overall. Like, he was called Two-Face, is that just because yeah. he was in internal affairs and, you know, he basically was investigating other cops? Or was he always a little bit... He had a double-headed coin, you know? Yeah. Like, clearly... He's people, a politician. Right, He's a he, very good politician. Exactly. So clearly he already has some level of wanting to deceive people, right? Yeah. So it's it's not... He's not really this pure, lawful, good kind of person that's who he portrays himself as, and that's who he's perceived as mostly, but not so much by the cops, who, you know what, um, like most of them probably deserve to be investigated. I mean, everyone should be. But like, we know that most of them were corrupt, right? Yeah, the whole like internal affairs is by definition bad and, and untrustworthy. To me, it's that same, like, I'm not a rat. Right, exactly. Movie, where you're like, ah, yeah. let's not demonize the people who are trying to stop corrupt cops. How yeah. about that, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, and I think I think it really makes a lot of sense. I think that's part of the point is that Joker is the one who sees that. You yeah. know, he's the one who sees, like, Dent is not the perfect paladin that you think he is. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so what, to me, I think kind of the central heart of this movie is this idea of how do you break the law in order to fix the law? And, and a part of what this movie is getting at is that the problem with someone like Batman is – when you make a hero out of someone who is breaking the law, even for a good reason, now these copycats want to do it too. Now everyone starts thinking they should be a vigilante. And like, you know, in some ways, like the, there's a great question. One of them asks, like, why can you do it? And I can't. And, and yeah, what gives and, you the right? 
Like, yeah, well, it gives you the right. And Bruce says, like, because I'm not in hockey pads. And it's like, well, I don't think your privilege and economic resources should be what gives you the right to break the law. Right, like, like that can't. shouldn't be. It's like, because I've thought about it for 20 years and trained really hard. And, you know, yeah. I'm not just, like, suddenly decided to do it. Not like, oh, because I have a $300,000 suit of armor and you're wearing hockey pants. Right. But yeah, so what, what's your take on the kind of run? Because we, it's basically throughout the movie, it's Gordon, Dent, and Batman yeah. all together having these ongoing conversations about how they how they can each play this different role in trying to make things better. What's your kind of take on on, on that? The, the different pers- in some ways, it's a philosophical debate about what do you do to bring about justice in a in a in a world with a broken justice system, which is a philosophical debate with no meaning for us today, of course. Right. But, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. You know, the question that I would be more inclined to ask is like, is can you even construct a justice system that is going to do what you really want it to do? Or and further, like, what do you really want it to do? You know, do you want it to put criminals away in, in big quotes or like, do you want it to discourage people from like killing each other or do you want it to exist in order to basically preserve the power of the powerful, you know, and that's basically Mm -hmm. the justice system has been working very well up until this point. It's just that the purpose of the justice system was to protect the power of the powerful, basically. Right. And what, you know, Harvey and, and Gordon and Batman, like, you know, Bruce is like, whatever, I'm fine with my power. I don't, I don't need your justice system to help me preserve that. Like I want to use my power in order to, basically change what the justice system's doing and it's you know depending on how you feel about the justice movie uh, system it can play different ways but overall it's like if the idea is to if like the number one thing you want to do is like stop murderers say you know or, Mm -hmm. or make make it actually safer to walk down the streets yes there's a lot of social things you can do that can help with that but you know there are people going around with guns like shooting people and if most of the cops aren't willing to like do anything about that and they're literally getting paid to to be complicit then you know you either need a number of cops who aren't in on that right or you need somebody who you know like i i think the idea of batman and having this secret identity is particularly useful in something like that where like i don't think we ever see like gordon's family getting threatened right but like like his wife leaves him between the um between batman begins and the dark knight i think or is that between no i'm sorry no no that's completely not what happens that's after the dark knight but so that's actually the point yeah there it is that's the point the point is is that he does have people who can be harmed yeah i mean gordon's family a does get threatened by dent Mm -hmm. Uh, and but also, um, it's because he knows that his family could be in danger that he fakes his own death. Right, that's true. Through the movie, yeah. And so, you know, it's it is like a question of how can you when there is so much power trying to entrench power, which in this case is mostly organized crime. Um, but then the you know so many judges and politicians are part of that. That also is organized crime, really. Right. Um, it it does seem credible to me that the law is not that well equipped to deal with that. Um, you know, and in, in the Dark Knight Rises, we find out that after Harvey Dent dies, they like make all these laws that uh, sound very like 
maximum, you know, um, minimum sentencing kind of requirements and stuff like that, denying parole, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and there is this sort of idea like, oh, well, if you just lock up these thousand people, everything will be fine. And it's like, that's right. not really how society works. But within the within the framework of a superhero crime story, I think it, it makes sense. Right. And right. The, the question is always, though, like, who can you trust? You know, right. and Batman earns the trust of Gordon in Batman Begins. And then Dent isn't sure whether he can trust Batman, isn't sure whether he can trust Gordon. And Gordon and Batman are kind of trying to figure out if they can trust Dent. Right. And I think one of the things that makes it even more that I think one of the things that also makes me love it is that when you figure out who the cops are who can't be trusted and who are the whole problem, mm -hmm. they're not even people who are like, you know, look at all these you know riches I'm going to get by screwing over the system. You know, Ramirez has a sick mother who's dying and she can't afford the hospital bills. And that's how they first like get their hooks into her in terms of the corruption, you know, and I thought like. It wasn't maybe until the second or third time I watched this movie that I really noticed that detail because it's such a blink and you miss it thing. But it's such an – I mean like she's probably the one who was like one of the most responsible for everything that happens. Um, and yet, you know, it's not – she's in this horrible situation herself. Like I don't think I, – I don't think it in any way justifies what she does. But it's also like I can't hate her. She's not just greedy. She's not just like, you know, let's let's have crime. She's – in this horrible situation that I think a lot of people would be like, I don't know, you know, maybe I would pass on what seems like a little bit of harmless information and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, yeah, I, I think that was a really important point in the movie, right? Is that yeah. it's not a whole bunch of people who are like actively, like proactively trying to corrupt the system or proactively trying to like enrich themselves it's like a lot of the people are just people who someone got leverage on and then they're just they they kind of don't have like a way out once they're in right totally in that regard um to me i think it's probably why i love both of them so much so much of the kind of ethos of this movie about crime and justice and the role that an individual can have in fighting a corrupt system reminds me so much of the wire Oh, you know? yeah. And like, yeah. it's a little bit of a different take. There is more of a, the power of the individual, but it's very much that same thing of like, it's not about individual people. It's about the system being broken and you have to fix the system and, and being able to like get your hands wide enough to get around the whole system to fix it is just almost impossible. Right. Absolutely. So in terms of the third element of that, that kind of tri triumvirate of the movie, like, uh, we talked a little bit about Gordon, but then we kind of pushed off the Gordon conversation for this. Uh, What's your take on the uh, this take uh, this position on Gordon? Um, I, I love this portrayal of Gordon. I think Gary Oldman is so. I mean, he's such a chameleon. First of all, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I remember. Um, I think the first time my mom watched these movies, and you know, she had been talking at some point about how much she loved Gary Oldman. I'm like, you know, he's Gordon, and she's like, wait. What? Really? Yeah. You know? <laughs> He's and it's so like different. I'm sure not the only person, you know, who who doesn't match him, you know, mm. him up here with like him and everything else is in. Um Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I mean it's funny that like I, I think the Dark Knight won like best European film in some film awards. Um mm -hmm. you know, because like, you know, we think of Batman as this like American, like Gotham is kinda New York, although it's mostly Chicago and these and like 
but like you know so many of the actors are british um (laughs) and and the director of course and this gordon just i mean he just feels like a real world gordon who is in this very difficult place where you know he does want to do kind of like what he signed up for but that's very hard to do and you know the the thing is it's like as a cop you're not you know you're not trying to do the whole thing yourself, right? Like you have a team and he puts together a team, but you know, I, I think Harvey Dent asks him at some point, like, you know, how can you, you know, can you trust your people? Like da, 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 da. And you know, you, sh- or he, he's basically like, yeah, you, you chose these people who weren't all entirely trustworthy. And Gordon's like, you know, I picked from what was available. Right. right. Like, it's not like there was this this fountain of like not crooked cops. And it's like he did his best to vet them. But obviously right. he wasn't flawless in that. And, you know, and, it's hard. And I think that's a pretty vital part of his character. And granted, the perspective that I and I think many people, particularly white people, have about the police has changed quite drastically since when this movie came out and today. And I think. If other folks, especially those who have been much more on the receiving end of police violence, want to be like, so you mean you just woke up? I think it's a perfectly fair critique. I think I had a much less aware knowledge, uh, understanding of the way I viewed cops at the time I watched this movie originally than when when I watch it today. But certainly today, I mean, one of the things that I really notice, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but so much else is intentional that I think it might be, is that Gordon is another – like all three of them have really good intentions – but have some kind of a failing of some kind. Mm-hmm. And that for, you know, for Dent, it's that he wants to be more perfect than he is and, and everything else that goes with that. And for Gordon, I think it's that as much as he understands how broken everything is around him, he still has to have a, he has a fundamental belief in the institution of the Gotham police that, that just is not, it doesn't live up to, you know, and that's everything from like when he's like, I can't be a rat because I have to still respect right. the cops to, you know, he can't bring himself to listen to Dent saying, like, the cops you're working with are dirty. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Gordon Gordon is a cop through and through. He's a cop's cop. He's, like, not going to not become a cop just because the system's not working right. Like, he's dug right. in, and he wants to set it right the way he thinks is right, you know? Um, one of the things that I think is most interesting in Dark Knight Rises is that we actually do get a cop who maybe isn't that um, and, you know, maybe becomes another Batman. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I, I think this idea of, like, wanting the police to be, like, what people seem to want the police to be is, like, I feel like at its heart it's kind of misguided. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I just don't, I don't think I've ever thought that that's what the police were like, but, um, but you know, my, my parents were hippies, like, um, but like, you know, it's, that's what Gordon wants to do, right? Gordon wants to, he wants to do things by the books on, um, according to the justice system, but he wants the justice system to be like sort of what it's made out to be. And, you know, there's there's a real question of like, can, can that even be a thing, you know, or right. or does it have to be dismantled? I, I feel like these movies don't really address that. 
right? They're basically, yeah. I think they come with the premise of like, yes, it is possible to have a functioning justice system that does what most people think it should do rather than what it does and what it's actually been built to do. Um, yeah. And I think, and this is a discussion we'll get into at a later point, but I, I think for me, that's one of the biggest reasons why I find Dark Knight Rises much hard, much harder to watch mm-hmm. because A, and maybe you know, a couple of years had passed even between that this movie and that one, um, that movie feels to me like it is very, very pro-cop and and very anti sort of the critique of cop. Even to the point of like, it, to me, the movie feels like a, a direct attack on like the Occupy Wall Street movie in ways that I really hated. But that's yeah, that's a whole other thing. But like, I think I I think it's definitely an evolution of because that's what the whole movie is about. Is about like you know what role should cops play? What role should should a justice system play? And and where does a Batman stand in in that whole system? Yeah, and I, I will say that if I saw The Dark Knight Rises as that, I would very much dislike it. I don't think mm-hmm. that's at all what it's actually doing. I think that's mm. a reasonable perception. Um, I do think the movie was written considerably before the Occupy Wall Street movement existed and filming started before Occupy Wall Street um, started. Mm-hmm. Um, it then can be interpreted a certain way, but I... The fact that, to me, the most significant moment in that movie is Blake throwing his badge away mm-hmm. and deciding to not be a cop. And Gordon's like, can't I convince you differently? And so to me, like, that movie is definitely not saying, like, cops are great, cops are good. Like, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to the dark. That's maybe we cover that again sometime. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. The dark, just bring it back to the Dark Knight. One of my favorite parts was Batman beating the crap out of the SWAT team. Yeah, like, honestly, that was pretty that's fun like to watch. One of the top moments for me, um, because like they're gonna go in hot headed and they're gonna shoot all the hostages, mm-hmm. you know, and they, like they haven't figured out what's going on, and so it's kind of like that they don't know what's going on, but it's also they're going in guns blazing, you know, and yeah. it's it's like Batman's like, okay, I have to take out the SWAT. And then I have to take out the other guys with guns, and then I have to let loose the hostages. Oh, and here's the Joker. Um, yeah. So I thought that was. Yeah, cool. I, I think we're very much in similar places, especially especially on Gordon. Um, you know, I, I this is very much my favorite. This is very much my Gordon. This is my favorite version of Gordon. I I love the TV show Gotham, and I love the character of Jim Gordon in that TV show. I don't think that Jim Gordon grows up to be the Gordon that I love in the Batman story itself. I kind of think to me, Gotham is kind of an an AU. Yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, and I think there's so many other characters we could dive into so much more about this movie. We could talk about because I mean, it's it's such a rich movie. Uh, And we'll definitely be coming back to it. We will definitely do the dark Knight rises because I really want to explore that further with you. Cause I, so we'll definitely talk more about the dark Knight rises. Let me kind of bring us back to maybe the kind of one last part of this movie that I want to discuss and and get your sense. Cause it is very much, I think another part of the like, does this or does not fit your idea of Batman, which is where, you know, he's taking this idea of using tech to be a great detective to basically figure out a way to like hijack every cell phone in the world, or at least at this point in Gotham, but it could do it anywhere to spy on everybody at all times in order to figure out like these things to do. And he uses it to basically create sonar, but also to, you know, find the Joker and stuff like that. And I mean, at the time it seemed like, a possible future to be afraid of and maybe, but maybe kind of fantastical today. We know that Google and Apple and companies like this have done exactly this at the government's request. Um, but you get this very nice moment with Fox where Fox is like, I'm going to help you do this now. 
but I will resign from the company because I don't think any person, he says, like, I don't think any one person should have as much power. And, and Bruce Wayne clearly has kind of anticipated this. And I think to some extent agrees, he kind of acts like this is a necessary evil. And I'm going to want you to destroy the whole thing. The moment this particular mission's done. Um, what, what's your kind of feel on, on how that whole thing plays out? Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously this is something that we're actually dealing with now in terms of tech companies and big data and, um, and some of them I think are actually very attempting to be uncooperative and other ones maybe more proactively cooperative, but in, within the context of the movie, it's, it's tricky. Cause it's like, you know, it's the like, well, just this once we'll just do it this once. It's like, yeah. but if just this once it, it's useful, then like, why not another time? What if there's a bigger issue that you can use? Like, right. isn't it, you know, to me, technology and power ultimately just comes down to like, who's in control of it and what do they want to do with it? You know? And so I think, I think the sort of like, well, we're just going to have it work this way, this one time. And, you know, you're going to, you're going to be in control of it, Lucius, and then you can blow it up at the end. Like, couldn't you have just made it so that he's the only person who's able to use it? And then that's it, you know, right. and then he doesn't have to blow it up. Um, I also feel like that whole thing, it's like, it is a little bit about like, well, you know, how much power is reasonable? Is it reasonable for a person to have? Um, it also feels a little bit to me like a workaround of the like, like not having to do like detective work. You know, mm -hmm. it's the like tech in place of detective work. And it's like, if he was able to build this, I don't think Bruce Wayne like assembled this by hand, right? Right. So like somebody else now knows how to do it. Yeah. So it's like, and that's it's the thing, you know, it's like, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And, um, and then the Dark Knight Rises actually plays with that same theme a little bit as well of like, you know, they have this tech, but it's like, if it's in the wrong hands, it can be a problem. Like, I think technology just moves forward. You know, and yeah. I, I don't think there's a way to just be like, no, um, you know, we're just going to choose not to have it and not to use it. And then it'll be fine and nobody else will find it. It's like somebody else is going to figure it out. It's probably more important to try and find ways of um, regulating its use or like not having authorities use it in certain ways, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, it once you have that power then it's like then they're like okay but we're not going to use it anymore going forward it to me it feels a little bit like kind of like a cop-out i don't know how, how do you feel yeah. about that part i i think i think it would feel like a cop-out if it wasn't the fact that i feel like and again i hadn't picked this up because it happens at two totally different parts of the movie i think this is a microcosm of what they earlier set up as one of the larger themes which is where dent gives this whole thing about how you know, he references Cincinnatus, like this figure from Roman history. And like there was a period in time in Roman history where the idea was that like you'd have, I mean, their version of democracy, right. which had slaves sure, and all sure. this kind of thing. Yeah. But like a, that the group of people who An oligarchy masquerading as democracy. But yeah. Right. Yeah. A a, a small, but, which but certainly that, so that's far. very different than a one dictator. Right. But they did have a system where like they understood that in times of utter crisis, committee rule wouldn't work and you needed once they as they well they understood it as maybe we disagree i think i disagree sure. but the idea was that they thought that 
in times of crisis, you'd give all the power to one person, and that person would do extraordinary things that broke the normal rules, but then that person would give the power back. And Harvey Dent basically wants to do the same thing with Batman. Like, he kind of wants to make Batman like the, the, you know, dictator of Gotham and to clean everything up. Right. And... And, and you can see that Bruce Wayne himself isn't comfortable with this idea. And I think, you know, because I think part of it's that, like, I don't know enough about Roman history to know how often that actually happened. Right, right. Certainly, like, the last person who they tried to have it with was Caesar. Who <laughs> yeah, there was a last time and it didn't go yeah. back. So. And certainly, like, there have been so many other times where there's been a, like, yeah, it's a state of emergency. Right. Like, the, the declaration, like, whether it's, like, Hitler or Palpatine, like, it's never supposed to be a permanent state of emergency, but it almost always is. Yeah. And and so to me, there's kind of a similar thing there of, like, can you give Batman this sort of power over everything just once, but then he'll give it back? Or can you give him this power over all these cell phones just once, but then mm. he'll give it back? Right. And, and so I, I, I think it's important to me that Bruce Wayne himself, Batman himself, recognizes I can't have this for good. I, this has to be a one-time thing. Right. But you're right. It's 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 again one of those things where I think the the point they're making is one I really like. The execution of it is is maybe a little sloppy, and but I also think there's a lot of room for argument and discussion, which is what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's one of many things in the movie that like basically brings up an idea and is like, well, here's this, you know. And yeah. I feel like the movie to some extent is very overtly doing that at a lot of points, but not to the point for me, where it feels like really preachy. I think for me, movies sometimes lose me, even when they're saying something that I totally agree with, but they're like, this is the message. And here it's like, that's the message, but it's like, it's actually a conversation the characters are really having rather than, you know, than something that just the filmmakers like, oh, did you notice that this is the theme? Huh? Huh? Did you notice? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how like, you and me discussing Civil War, which we have completely different understandings of at the end. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which we see it similar, but like you're Team, you're team Cap and I'm Team Coney. And that one of the brilliances of that movie is that you can walk out holding either of those positions because right. I think the movie is a little more Team Cap, but the movie sets it up in a way where it's like, here's this question that each of these characters has their own point of view on, but where do you stand? And I think this movie does the exact same thing of like, I don't think Christopher Nolan thinks there's an easy answer to how you create justice in a system with a broken in – in a broken world with a broken justice system. Yeah. He's saying, but here's three people who have given it an awful lot of thought, and here's all their various perspectives on it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I've, I've seen Nolan describe his films as, like, not political. And, <laughs> you know, and it's like you can laugh and it's like, yeah, but, but really, you know. But at the same time, it is like, you know, their stories – and I do yeah. think that he is just trying to tell a good story and he thinks this is a good story. And I think it's yeah. a good story. And I think there's a lot of political takeaways, but yeah. I don't think that there's like a whole lot of, but this is the answer, you know? Very, oh, very much so. Yeah. I, I think um, like I, I've heard, I heard this said in terms of my job when I was a pastor, but I think also like a lot of, I've heard a lot of like professors and academics and people in many different professions say that this is their job. It's like that, you know, the job isn't to tell people the answer, the job is to help them frame the question so that they can wrestle with the question mm. themselves. And I think that's, I don't think Nolan is trying to preach. I think he's trying to start conversations. Yeah, I agree. And, I and that's agree. what I love. As, as, but you're also right, as well as also just tell a great story. Yeah. Um, 
there's so much we didn't talk about here. All all the stuff about Rachel, who was, you know, I, I I wish Kitty Holmes continued with the part. I did find out that it wasn't a like the director didn't recast. Yeah, they really wanted Kitty Holmes. She, she was busy. Uh, it does mean that Heath Ledger winds up being the person who gets to make out on screen with both of the Gyllenhaal siblings, which is kind of weird. Yeah, although but, I, don't, um, I don't know if I describe this one as making out per se. Yeah, no, I mean he forces a kiss on her. Not quite the you same, know, but you know, like, I, I mess up the nuances to get a good story. Fair, you know fair, what I mean? Fair. Artistic license. Um, but but yeah, no, I think I think that there's um, there's so much more we could have gone into, but that we just don't have time for. Um, any kind of last thing you want to bring up, though, or last questions or points? Yeah, I, I did want to bring up Rachel. Um, I don't have that much oh, sure, to say about her in this movie. I On rewatch, I really enjoyed her in Batman Begins. I feel like, yeah, there's a part of the movie where she's like a damsel in distress. But there's also a parts of the movie where she's doing stuff and she's like, I'm going to be the one who's trying to do what Harvey Dent ends up doing here, right? Right. And... And then here it's like, I feel like instead of still being like, she's still on board with that mission, but I don't feel like she does a whole lot. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like she's kind of someone who's dating Harvey Dent so that when she gets blown up, like he can feel something and Bruce can feel something. And I think we have a term for that and it feels applicable here. And that's, that's maybe in a story sense, my biggest sort of complaint about the movie. I think I think that's very fair. You know, because it's funny, at one point when I was saying, you know, we've got these three people with three different points of view, and in my head I was thinking, wait, but what about Rachel? Yeah, what about Rachel? But the thing is, this she's not. Like, she... She instead... And I, I, think, I think you're right. It's one of my other frustrations of the story, both because of that, um, but also because in some ways I feel like, you know, one of the central questions is, does Batman have to become a permanent fixture? Like, just always, like the force in the dark while everyone else is trying to work in the light or can he be in Cincinnati? Can he give it all up? Right. And I, I feel like they, they make Rachel a plot device where instead of her being a real character, she now is the way of kind of complicating that question for Batman where you have to ask, does he want to give this up because he doesn't think it's needed anymore? Or does he want to give it up so he can go have this life with Rachel that he's, he's always wanted, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I feel like the, we talked about this with Batman Begins. I feel like that's a very different kind of story for him. And I do wish that those two, I think the question of is the best way to fight crime to be Batman forever or to be Batman for a period of time is a great question. Yeah. I think the question of does Bruce Wayne always want to be Batman or can he punch enough bad guys that he gets enough therapy that he can go back to living a normal norm of life? Most Batman stories say answer that question this you could have an interesting story in this kind of is to throw the question into doubt, but by conflating the two, I just think it, both stories suffer a little bit. In this case, it's the story with Rachel that really, really suffers. Yeah, and, and you're right. The fact that she literally dies just to advance both Bruce's and Harvey's story is not great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the whole Hong Kong thing also kind of to me feels like if you were gonna trim ten minutes out of the film, that to me, didn't add that much. That was kind of like, let's show something with Batman doing cool Batman stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I Yeah, I think that's exactly... I think, like, you know, you and I have talked about that That as much as, like, a good fight scene is fun and you can sometimes enjoy them a lot more than I do, like, a lot of times they're not the thing in the movies that we're most interested in. And that 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 definitely felt like 
they wanted to get a good fight scene in and some really good tech and some really good like Batman and Morgan Freeman, you know, are Christian Bale and Morgan Freeman having some fun snarky lines to each yeah. other while also being kind of racist to an Asian character. Right. Um, uh, you know, they wanted to have that. So then we could have an hour of basically just talking. You know, yeah, yeah, until the yeah. Big, like, yeah, it was like buying some of the audience's patience or whatever. But the thing is, it's like when you, if they knew they were going to have this Joker be this compelling, mm-hmm. maybe there isn't as much effort to kind of insert scenes like that in, you know? Yeah. Um, because it's like you, you don't always know when you're going to get a performance that's just like, yeah, someone's just going to sit there and watch it because it's just that compelling. Right. And I think there's kind of a fun story with it in terms of like the the Asian bankers, the uh, Mr. Uh, Liu, Liu wow. I think is I his think, name. Lao, wow. wow, thank you. Uh, you know that character is kind of set up as untouchable, and at different parts of the movie, Batman and the Joker are the two people who are able to get to him. Yeah. In part because they don't do things the way everyone else does, but yeah, yeah. So anyway, no, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I was kind of dismissing the Rachel thing, but you're right; it actually is a a, a problem with the movie, and also is kind of a, you know the kind of thing we like to talk about. Yeah. So it just goes well, to show you can you can make a great movie with some significant problems. Yeah, and I imagine, and I think some of these are ones that I think are problems at the time of the movie. I think also it's a twenty-year-old movie that, like a lot of movies at the time, hasn't aged as well it would have liked. You know, Um, thirteen or fourteen, but yes, (laughs) math, 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 math. numbers, numbers, numbers. Numbers are arbitrary. You know, (laughs) free your mind of these arbitrary constraints. Um, Anyway, so thank you, Paul, as always, Uh, folks. You want to check out more about what Paul's doing? uh, Just search for Zen Madman in all the places. Uh, you find great content about poker, about um, other stories, Paul's fiction, which is definitely worth checking out. If you want to check out more of my stuff, go to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all my podcasts. You'll also find all the other ways that you can uh, give us feedback. We love feedback. I actually just got a great email about uh, neurodivergence and Queen's Gambit that Paul, I'm going to share with you and you and I can oh, kind of get into because I think you make some definitely points out some things that I think I probably missed the first time we talked about it. And I, and I, I should have talked about more, but also I think I, I have a somewhat different take on the, than the perspective the writer has in. So, uh, as myself, a fairly uh, neurodivergent person, but we'll get into that. And that, and that's the point. Like these are conversations. Nolan is starting a conversation. Paul and I are continuing it. Um, but we want to continue it with you all. So write in, send us tweets, send us, um, uh, send us tweets, send us, uh, emails, send us Facebook posts. Um, Paul, as your animal rights guy, how do we feel about carrier pigeons? Are carrier pigeons like is that like animal yeah, abuse? Hard, hard is that pass. like a fair hard pass? Hard pass. Okay. Also, so that brings no up car- the dogs. I wasn't a fan of the whole dogs thing in this, but anyway, moving on. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there are people who would argue that that birds aren't real and they're all a tool of the government. So if you hold that belief, then maybe like a robotic carrier pigeon is fine, but probably just stick to email or Twitter or one of those. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Please chime in with your thoughts about it. We'd love to hear it, and have a great day.